Good evening. I am Jeff McLam, an elder at Faith Builders Church. We are so pleased that you've been able to tune into this service today. I know that God has brought you here tonight for this message for a special purpose. And, um, and He has something special that He'll reveal to you if you open your heart to it. Today I'm going to be sharing with you one of the first challenges that I ran into when I truly gave my heart to Jesus and, um, and made Him Lord of my life. I'm going to read Numbers 22 pretty, pretty quickly, and then I'm going to summarize Numbers 23 and Numbers 24, and then I'm going to share with you a little bit more about what God spoke with me through that. And to give you a little bit of context of this, is this is right after God led Israel to, to take on the Amorites, and fear was among the community. And, and so this takes up with, uh, with Numbers 22.1. And this is the story of King Balak and Balaam. And just to give you some context also in, in, in this, Balaam lived about 300 miles away. And so when Balaam was going on donkey, he was traveling 300 miles on donkey to make this journey. So this was a significant, a significant trip. It wasn't down the corner for him. All right, so Numbers 22.1. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw that Israel had done to the Amorites and Moab was Israelites, or to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass in the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, um, who was the king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the Euphrates River, in his land. Balak said, A people have come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the land, and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land." For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Then the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I'll report back with you what the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with them. Then God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and he spoke to Balak's officials, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other officials more numerous and more distinguished than the first. These were actually princes. Then they came to Balaam and said, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, 
and said, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in this palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of my Lord. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with the walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, neither to the left or to the right. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was very angry, and he beat him with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had my sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Then the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing these things to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn. So he bowed down and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is reckless before me. The donkey saw me and turned turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now, but I would have spared the donkey. Balaam said to the angel, uh, angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with these men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. When Balak heard Balaam was coming, he ran out to greet, uh, to meet him at the Moabite town at the Arnon border at the edge of the territory. Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Well, I have come to you now, Balaam said, but I cannot say whatever I please. I must only speak what God puts in my mouth. Okay, so that was the end of Numbers 22. And to summarize Numbers 23 and 24, um, King Balak takes Balaam up to the, um, these high places. And, these high, and he keeps doing this. He does this three times, and he gets... Um, he, he, he tells Balaam, hey, maybe God will be pleased with this high place that you will let him curse Israel for me. And, um, and Balaam keeps telling him, okay, well, you know, go ahead and build an altar, make some sacrifices, and I'll go talk to God. God comes back. God, God meets with Balaam, gives Balaam these beautiful, beautiful blessings. And instead of speaking curses over Israel... Balaam comes back to Balak and speaks these beautiful blessings on him. And he does this three times. 
And uh, in Numbers 24 continued, it said, Then Balak's anger, anger turned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them these three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I, I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers you sent me, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in this palace, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. And I must say only what the Lord says. Now I'm going to go back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people is going to do to your people in the days to come. All right. So here is what troubled me, besides a donkey talking like Ehor, but, but that's a different topic for a different day. And this seems important, because if someone like Balaam, who communicates with God more clearly with me, I mean, God has this very clear communication with him, and he appears to follow God's instruction without exception, where does that leave me when struggling to find God's plan for me and walking that walk? If Balaam could mess up so bad, can I? So what did Balaam do that was so bad that the Lord wanted to kill him over? So let's go back and review. He came to God before making this big decision. And by the way, it wasn't his desire. You know, they came to him and asked him to curse these people. And, and, um, and so he came to God. We're supposed to do that. He asked God's advice. He delivered God's word and turned the king's people away. Now, when they came back the second time, he told them no again, but he'll meet with God and, and see if God has another word for him. So he meets with God, and God told him to go with these people and only do what I'm going to tell you to only say what I'm going to tell you to say. So he did exactly as God instructed in Numbers 20 through through 24, and he didn't deviate from that. So my question is, why was the angel of God wanting to kill Balaam, saying? I have come here to oppose you because your path is reckless before me. When you search the scriptures for Balaam, you find Numbers 25.1, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The men ate the sacrificial meals and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. Numbers 31.16 says they were the ones that followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident, so that a plague struck the Lord's people, at least 24,000 died. Second Peter 2.15 says they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezor, who loved the wages of wickedness. Jude 1.11 says, like Balaam, they deceived people for money. Revelations 2.14 says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold on to the teaches of, teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate the food sacrifices to idols and committed sexual immorality. Immorality. So scripture doesn't record when Balaam threw stumbling blocks in front of the Israelites. It certainly re 
records that his love for money and rewards caused him to teach Balak how to get the Israelites to walk away from their blessings. Numbers 25 records that because of Balaam telling Balak how to get the Israelites to walk away from the blessings, it resulted in God bringing a plague on Israel, killing at least 24,000 people. Now, possibly more people died because God also wanted everyone who, um, who was worshiping um, the Baal to be killed as well. Um, and the people that were involved with uh, the women to be killed. And so it's possibly more than 25,000 people, but he brought a plague upon Israel, and 24,000 people were killed in the plague. And then later, Balaam was eventually killed by the sword because of it. So we know that Balaam's motivation was personal gain and pride. And although in Numbers 22, he did exactly what God told him to do, he went down in history for putting down his personal ambitions above God's for prestige and reward. In fact, Balaam may be one of the most referenced bad guys from the Old Testament referenced in the New Testament. Sometimes we rationalize God's instructions for us like Balaam probably did, saying, okay, God told me that I couldn't curse Israel, but he didn't tell me that I couldn't teach the king how to get Israel to walk away from their blessings. So what can we take away from this story? Among other things, one of the things that I found profound was, is if you go and do something for God with selfish ambitions, God may bless the kingdom work despite of you. But just as with Balaam and the Israelites, you may bring destruction on your life and the one who God calls you to protect. Sometimes in our love for God, we want to do big God things for the kingdom. The ideas sound good. You feel like this is really something you can do to make a difference. You have a strong desire to do it. You may even have an excitement whenever you think about doing it. Say you want to start a, start a Bible study in your home. Do you want to do it? Sure. Does the, gospel want you, does the Bible want you to spread the gospel? You bet. Do you have talents to get it done? No doubt. However, what's the deep, hidden, inner motivation for doing it? Is there one? Is the deep-seated motivator selfish ambitions? Do you have a desire for people to look up to you? Do you have a desire for people to look at you as a leader? Do you desire to speak into people's lives and influence them? Do you want people to look at you when they need advice? Do you have ambitions of personal gain? If you do, tread carefully. Your path is reckless. How about this? You see people up on stage giving God their glory and singing and playing their hearts out, and you think, I can do that. Matter of fact, I have a better voice than some of them. You think your rich singing talents could sure be used on the stage. You have a beautiful voice. People even tell you, it sounds like a songbird. Surely you can be a blessing to the kingdom in this way. So what is it you want about being on stage? Do you want to show people how beautiful your voice is? Do you crave the attention or respect? Do you have a deep down desire for people to admire you? If you do, tread carefully. Your path is reckless. You see, sometimes you may be doing the right thing with the wrong ambitions or a prideful heart. 
God may still use you to bring about his will and plans, but it may destroy you in the process. Or maybe a God has already showed you the path that you're supposed to take, and you may have already started down that journey. And now somewhere down the road you find yourself looking back, where is the love I once had? Where is the joy and the peace? You think, I remember when I used to hear God so clearly. You remember when? I remember when. I remember when. It could be that somewhere along the road, you've led a high place or a stronghold into your life. And although you seem to be going the same direction God's called you to, you've gotten off path. It's so important to continuously search your heart, or even better, to be sensitive and vulnerable enough to God to allow him to search your heart and show, him the things that need, show you the things that need to be changed to be more effective for him. Psalms 139.23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. You know, that's about all the time I have for, for this session right now. However, Pastor Barb had a series she started on June 13th called Can You Hear Me Now? which starts off in self-examination. When she was going through this series, it was just burning in my heart as I was actually writing this. And, and God was speaking to me a lot of the same things that she spent so much time and went so deep into. She does a wonderful job of diving into this topic. And we'll try to put a link on this for you so that uh, you can uh, jump on and listen to that. I encourage you to, to try to watch that series and let the Word change your heart and mind so that you can prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. So, There may be some of you out right now that are watching this who don't know God's perfect plan in your life because you don't have a personal relationship with him. You may not have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus died and rose from the dead to bear your sins upon him so that you wouldn't have to die and be punished for them. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you would like to begin your walk with Jesus and have certainty that you will go to heaven when you die and be able to walk out your life on earth here fulfilling God's perfect plan and purpose for you, please join me in this prayer inviting Jesus into your heart. Why don't you close your eyes with me? Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you died for my sins, for my mistakes. Thank you that you rose from the dead and are now sitting at the right hand of the Father, lifting me up in my struggles, being my advocate. Jesus, I give you my heart. Please live inside me. I will serve you forever, declaring you Lord of my life. Make my heart sensitive to you, Lord, so that I can know your desires for me. Thank you for writing my name in the Lamb's book of life and for adopting me into your family, Lord. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer with me now and meant it with all your heart, let someone know. Let someone know that you gave your heart to Jesus. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And join us at Faith Builders Church here at 949 East Bell Road on Sundays, 9 a.m. and 1030, so we can equip you with the tools you need to live a Christian life. God bless you, and thank you for spending time with me tonight.